the future of photography. Adrian, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm totally fine. I was recently on an airplane to the United States. And then I spent time there and then I came back. And uh, I want to talk about the time there. <laughs> yeah, the, t- the bit in the middle is probably the interesting bit, to be fair. <laughs> it certainly is. And it was it was well photography related. And it does have something to do with the future of photography. Um, I was at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Ah, the RIT. Okay. Uh, you, as a um, as an also film photographer, will have heard of Caffeinol. Yeah, it's yes, a developer. You can for all of those listening that don't know about that, but you can develop film in coffee. You can instant coffee, even instant. Even is even better than drip coffee, and uh, th- that's not the topic of this episode. So don't turn off. This is going to be very <laughs> digital. But um, but uh, RIT is among other things famous in the analog community because that's where caffeinol was invented. Is that right? I was on the same floor where these people were who invented that. But anyway, so that was not the reason I was there. The reason. Um, I was there is to learn about, well, what's going on in education, of, uh, in photography education. And Rochester famously being where uh, Mr. Eastman lived, where Kodak comes from, uh, is of course a, a wonderful breeding ground for things that have to do with photography. Okay, mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the RIT has a big department called uh, the School of Photographic Arts and Sciences. And okay, so that, they makes, have these, that makes sense given where it is. <laughs> right, and they, they have these two branches and one is the uh, the arts branch and the other is the science branch. And I was, um, I was, I spent a day with one of their associate professors, name is Ted Kinsman, and he um, is, well, he teaches photography and scientific photography to the students there. And okay, all right. And I, 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 I asked him what, what are the things that we could film here. My friend John was with us. He's a filmmaker, and he, he uh, happily agreed to have a camera uh, and and shoot the whole thing. So there's video of the whole event, and it's online. And I, yeah, I, I discussed with Ted and had him show me a few things that that they teach the students and some of, some of the stuff is relatively basic but it was all lots of fun and you can learn a lot uh from that and um they learn scientific photography they learn to use the camera as a tool in science and it is a very interesting tool in science uh to the point where we are moving rapidly moving towards measuring a lot of things with cameras so uh, let me. Uh, let, let me. I should. Have you're, you're talking this. a bit beyond. You're talking a bit beyond now. The the update I got on my phone recently that allows me to use augmented reality to measure the width of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, if you're talking a bit deeper and more scientific than that. I'm pretty uh, sure. Well, you 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 would you would be surprised the 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 width of stuff, the length of stuff, which is now kind of augmented in your in your um camera uh, in, in in your smartphone that is certainly 
one of the outcomes from what they what they do there, what they teach their students, because there's a lot of AR, a lot of uh, um, AI built into these phones uh, to be able to do that. But let me let me play you a little thing that I recorded with Ted just to get you kind of uh, tuned into this. Uh, Ted Kinsman, I'm from Rochester, New York. And where are we right now? We're at Rochester Institute of Technology. In the photography department. In the photographic sciences department. All right. On the second floor of Gannett. What's the future of photography? What is the future of photography? Is using photography for measuring things. Measuring like what? What? Uh, is the car on the road? Let's measure that. Uh, let's measure the area of things. Let's measure the size of things. So putting numbers, using photos to get numbers. And there's a lot of different aspects to that. Photos and video? Yeah, photos and videos combined in there. Like high-speed stuff? High-speed, uh, using imagery to extract numbers, whether to make a 3D file or to figure out how fast something is moving or how big something is moving. Uh, these will be a big part of the future of photography. What's one of the more crazy things phot photographically that you have seen or come across i remember you telling me something about flickering oh yeah we can we can uh, determine the location of a video from the flickering lights what do you mean flickering lights lights the, don't flicker well the lights do flicker and they flicker at different frequencies depending on uh the location in the world so uh it's a As crazy it, thing yeah you, yeah you mean they flicker differently uh, if I'm in New York and if I'm in California? Yes, they flicker differently because they're on different... The 60 hertz is not 60 hertz exactly. It varies. And that variation can lead to a location. So if you have a few minutes of video, I can tell where the video was taken in the world. How precise is that? Uh, it's as precise as your data set of... The variations in the world <laughs> at so, the moment. So it's not that great, but it's going to so get better. Is it, is, it, is it comparing an existing data set to... Yes, okay. it's, yeah, it's comparing an so existing... It's a pattern matching operation? Yes, it is. All but right. it's uh, fairly complicated. Is there any, any machine learning going into that? Yes, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, a lot of machine learning in, in the future of uh, photography, too. All right. Um, yeah, I think I'll... Let you go. The next class is about to start. So, Ted, thank yep. you so much. Thank you. Thank you for coming to RIT. Okay, so that was just one little example of what... Uh, That's quite interesting. Where, where, that, where, where, where things might go. Just, just a little example. I don't really want to discuss the specific flickery thing here, but just an example of like what scientific photography can do or will be able to do uh, in the future. But in, in general, we started this there with a very like entry level approach because what i was um what i was um able to do is i was i, I was i sat in a class an a beginner class on high speed photography oh right um, okay so so they have students who kind of are still in the orientation phase and want to find out what interests them and they have like a ton of different things they can do there but one is one that is a specific specifically fun is the high speed photography class and um, I spent a couple of hours in that class as a student and I, and I participated in some of the experiments and 
Um, and it was it was a lot of fun. And for those who have never thought in this direction, it is a lot of there's a lot of learning there as well. Um, one good example was what uh, what's called the the Scrabble drop. Scrabble drop. <laughs> imagine, imagine taking a photo. So we, we start with a photo that we want to see. And that is a photo where magically Scrabble letters are floating in front of my face without oh, having okay. to use right. Photoshop. Okay. So it used to be a bit of a thing on Instagram at one time where people were posting these photos with Scrabble letters, spelling out their name or a word uh, hovering in front of their face. And of course, you can do this with strings or by by gluing those letters on a big sheet of glass. You know, there's lots yeah. of different ways to do that. Yeah. But one way is to to use high speed photography and simple simple thing. You you put the little the Scrabble letters on a little trap door that is uh, that you can activate with a little uh, jolt of electricity, a little solenoid holding that door, and then you can use that little thing that activates that uh, trapdoor and, and run a little timer for a few milliseconds and then it drops those letters and a few milliseconds later uh, the, the circuit trips a flash. And if you do this in the dark with an open shutter, you can time it so that those letters will be right in front of your face in the right orientation while uh, the camera takes that photo. And it is a repeatable process. It is a very good it's a relatively easy thing to do if you have a the tiniest little bit of like skills of programming an Arduino or something, which nowadays is very accessible. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty cool. I have to say, it's 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 brought to mind the uh, there's a famous photograph of Salvador Dali. The cats, the water. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know the one. You know the one. Have you ever seen the contact sheet for that? I, I have and okay so so the photo we are referring to is Salvador Dali jumping in the air cats flying through the air the the his, jug of his, water being thrown at him that is in the air but hasn't hit him yet and you only see the the water you don't see the person throwing the water and I think how or, many tries or the did person they, throwing the cat <laughs> or the person throwing the, how how many tries did they have to do, like I don't know. But. Well, in I mean the, the the contact sheet I've seen for that has about a dozen shots on it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm guessing it, taken when it was, it was probably shoot shot on medium format film. So I'm guessing there may have been yeah twelve or depending on the format, fifteen shots yeah, there, in, yeah, in yeah. total. Um, so, but there's, it is funny. It's just like in some of the cats in front of his face and, and stuff. You know, the water isn't quite right, and or, or you know, it, they've got him at the wrong point of his jump and stuff like that. Um, all yeah. of which, of course, must have been done manually. I have no idea um, if you'd be allowed to throw a cat these days in the name of art. But there you go. <laughs> and and to reset the set, you know, it's all wet and 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 broken. So you have to reset that every time. You have to go back to zero and start over again for the next try. And whereas nowadays you might just take a Photoshop and put it on several layers and photograph those things individually. Um, but, but that Scrabble drop, approaching it very scientifically, um, it took us three tries to get a decent photo. I tried to spell TFTTF, which is tips from the top floor. <laughs> um, I almost got it right. I think in the end it spelled TFTFT. -T -T. 
but that's only because I arranged the letters in the wrong in the wrong uh, uh, sequence. But it took me three tries, but only because I didn't understand the trapdoor well enough, so I didn't know how to place those letters. But then after that, I could pretty much I would be able to do this and and with with pinpoint accuracy every single time. Okay, well, uh, excellent. Because it is a scientific <laughs> setup, and uh, and that's what those students learn to to pretty much have cameras do things uh, by themselves. Um, another one that that he that we talked about are like the classics, the classics um, of high speed photography, uh, kind of invented and popularized by uh, a guy named uh, Harold Edgerton who was at the MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, is the guy who invented the electronic flash. And oh, okay. That's, I didn't know that. And that's where where he, he began experimenting with exactly these kind of things. You probably have seen the, the classic bullet through the apple shot. Oh, yes, yes. Many variations of. There is, but Edgerton is the one who pioneered that. He's the one who who uh, understood that if you do this in a dark room and you fire the flash at the right time, you, you will get this kind of a shot if the flash is fast enough. And <clears throat> that's, that's pretty much two things that they do in high-speed photography. Uh, either you have that setup in a dark room where the, where the flash becomes the shutter and you need a flash that is short enough, or you use a high-speed camera that shoots a lot of frames per second. Now, with the strobe approach, the first one, and we did a few more. We did a little like balloon pop experiment, which now is my new avatar on social media because I love it so much, where you, <laughs> where you take a balloon and you, you, you inflate it, but it, you also put like a tiny little bit of water inside. Because the balloon pop itself, it pops so fast that it's hard to capture with uh, a simple means. But what you can do then is you can, if you have a bit of water in there, in the balloon is a high pressure environment. And the moment that pressure uh, gets relieved, that high pressure saturated, uh, saturated environment loses its pressure and it turns into fog. But just for a thousandth of a second... <laughs> So if you time that, if you, if you have a trigger, this time a microphone being the trigger, if you have the trigger exactly right, you get to see that balloon popping and uh, that, that shape of the balloon with water mist and fog. And yeah, we did that and uh, with an entire class. It was also good to sit in, in, in a class as opposed to being in front of one for once. So I like that experience a lot. Um, and and then he showed me like how to work with a with a scanning electron microscope and all different kinds of photography things that were really fun. But but for the high speed stuff where you want to freeze that moment in time, depending on the on the speed of that thing. I mean, just imagine a supersonic bullet. If you want to freeze that, you need a very short burst of light. You you do it's, yeah you do yeah. Now what what they what they did in the high speed class just for simplicity they used a studio strobe like a very strong one six hundred forty watt seconds. Uh, everyone who shot in the studio will know what that means. But um, and by by reducing that to its lowest setting possible, uh, which makes it not just less bright but also shorter, they got an impulse of about a twenty thousandth of a second. 
which is yes. quite well, fast. Well, often with, those, often with those studio strobes, actually, they don't put out less light. They put out the same amount of light for a shorter time when you turn them down, don't they? Uh, no, in that case, it was at least that that one was one that, that reduces the output and oh, at reduce, the same okay, time right, reduces the point. time. So they went down to a 20,000th of a second. And if you compare that with like my my most expensive DSLR can do an 8,000th of a second, um, that is relatively fast and it's fast enough to freeze at least some of that fast motion. So the, the balloon bursting, you still have the a bit of a motion blur in there. But then they also in the, in the uh, at the RIT they also have special strobes that do like a millionth of a second or faster. So you'll the, that's quite fast. That is very fast. <laughs> and but then but then they also need to need that speed need that that short time because the things they want to shoot like a flying bullet hitting an egg or an apple are so. Well, the, the bullets are so fast that otherwise you can't freeze their motion in the air. And that makes th that puts the burden on a different kind of technology, and that is the sensing of that uh, of that bullet. Like you have to time this so well because that thing is so fast that you will need uh, like special special visual traps that the bullet goes through and and I, like, that like would put, trigger things in the right, yeah, with the right latency. Put, puts a and shadow on time, an infrared yeah. beam, and then a, a second one, and based on the on the speed on on two things that are being triggered, it's it's like some of the older car speed traps that you had. I was going to say it's like getting caught by <laughs> yeah, getting a speeding ticket, isn't it? It is, it is. <laughs> but but what they do is like the, the those triggers are so fast they measure the the speed of the bullet as it leaves the gun, and then it, it, it calculates how far the how when the strobe has to fire and <clears throat> we didn't play with these kind of things but then we also got to play with a high-speed camera an edgerton named after harold edgerton um i think that one i don't know how fast it can go but it was set to like a thousand frames per second right okay and that is, is video still... that is a video of a thousand frames per second uh which is interesting because then you you, you end up having different requirements like for example the balloon pop if you did that with a high-speed video camera if you shoot at a thousand frames per second you will need well the, the the shortest shutter speed that you can do is a thousandth of a second right if you mm. shoot a thousand frames in one second the the, the the shortest frame can be the longest frame can be a thousandth of a second so if you shoot a thousandth of a second indoors well you need a lot of light so while the strobe outputs it, its entire energy in one short burst, you would need a, a very bright continuous light source. And that's the big problem that the high-speed yeah. video people yeah. fight. They have, they have to have a lot of light. And a thousand frames of, uh, per second isn't that fast compared to some of the even faster ones that go like 100,000 frames per second. So imagine you could just expose for 100,000th of a second. And the amount of light you would need to get it. <laughs> do you need one of those? Uh, do you need one of those old flash bulbs? You know, single-use flash bulbs, or or some, you know, a powder-based one from you know from Victorian well, times, because that would give you a very bright light, and for a period of a uh, a portion of a second, I'm sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I think they do this with different ways. <laughs> I know, <laughs> sure I know. When I'm if, sure they do. If you go on YouTube and you watch the slow mo guys, uh, they sometimes have these 
super high-speed cameras and they shoot their things in out out in the bright sunlight. So yes. you need at least bright sunlight and then they have to raise the ISO on the camera to kind of make this work. Um, Edgerton, by the way, was also the guy who um, did a lot of like military applications in the Second World War. Uh, some photos you might have seen are his photos of early stages of an atomic explosion. I know. Uh, I, I uh, yes. I, I'm I'm reading about him a little bit right now. Actually, as as, as you talk through, because one of the links you put in the show notes is very right. interesting. But uh, but I haven't seen those. So ones, so so, in order to ex to to shoot an atomic explosion, like a, a a fraction of a millisecond into it, when it just starts forming, uh, he managed to build shutters that opened as as short as a four millionth of a second. So that's kind of <laughs> stuff. That, that, yeah, it's it's, aston it's astonishing stuff, isn't it? it is. And and you know, at the, just just by way of comparison, I guess you know many cameras that you can buy today, as we record this, can shoot 120 frames per second. Some can shoot 240 frames per second. And that's the range that most of us have in our pockets now. Yeah. Uh, well, the, yes, yes. The, and, the and 120 phone, at least, yeah. Yes, but phones are you do, uh, using an electronic shutter for that, aren't they? Right, whereas, uh, right. whereas um, yeah, we're talking here about mechanical shutters. I'm not sure if he, for a four millionth of a second, if he really used a mechanical shutter or if he, ha or if he had some other way of doing it. I don't know. I haven't really looked at it. No, good point. I, should, I shouldn't be making assumptions, should I? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was Second World War, but also he had access to probably all the funding he ever needed from the US military. So, yeah, well, it's, I don't know. Um, but anyway, just in general, what does that mean for the future of photography? Um, I think one, one of the things I learned is um, at least the the scientific, uh, the, the 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 scientific photography department at the Rochester Institute of Technology, um, they see their mission very clearly as get 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 students to the point where they get a, a good job, and um, I think that's most schools want to provide. It's a key for measure a, for most schools. A key these measure days, how many yeah. how many people get into jobs and. Uh, he says that p the people in the in the scientific photography department they they have no problem getting a job. They go into um, into all sorts of measuring things. A lot of them get into uh, self driving cars, okay, because they use a lot of cameras. We've talked about this before: uh, measurements, photogrammetry, image recognition, subject recognition. He also said that a lot of the things that that uh, they do later on uh, is is stuff that they won't even be able to talk about. So they are well prepared at the end of the school, but then they get to play with toys that are way beyond what they can, what they can do there at the school. Um, yeah. lots, of, lots of that stuff is in diagnostics, um, in troubleshooting, engineering, problem solving. So uh, uh, the, the, the school is at least preparing them for the future photography, but... Yeah, cameras are getting more and more important. And one of the biggest camera buyers at this point who buys like camera modules on the open market are the, is the car industry because they mm. are preparing for a self-driving future. So, yeah, it was interesting. Stuff. Link A link, there's a, the, the, a one main link that if you want to see some of the videos, I've put five online. Um, is at tfttf.com slash rit. 
And that's all in the description of the show. So just tap that link. Um, oh, we did one more fun thing. And that's... Oh, okay. Uh, I, the video of that is forthcoming. Um, I was there during Halloween. And uh -huh. Halloween is, well, if, you, if you're not in the United States, there's lots of pumpkins there. And <laughs> one of the <laughs> things that uh, he did with his class, uh, Ted Kinsman did with his class, is for Halloween in his backyard... He did a pumpkin, a high-speed video pumpkin smashing set session. <laughs> so the students set this all up. It was in the evening. It was the, they put up lights. They put up uh, there was like a tree stump that uh, pumpkins were put on. They they organized the pumpkins. I mean, there's like lots of decoration pumpkins in the U.S. Every everyone has pumpkins. So they uh, yeah they they brought some of those in. Uh, Ted built a big hammer. <laughs> this is too, like a big wooden hammer. Um, they had some baseball bats and then they set up the camera, the high-speed camera, and they shot uh, video and some uh, flash photos of that to freeze the motion. So it was a, it was a, it was a class pretty much, but uh, yeah, around but fun as a very well. fun subject. So, so it's it's okay. So, just just a quick question, um, and I think I may know the answer to this. Are there, are there any are there any techniques for high speed photography uh, that that get taught where where things are working well? <laughs> it seems to be a pretty destructive area of study. Oh, a lot of the stuff that they do is destructive. Yes, um, the the because you want to know what happens when you shatter a. Uh, the front screen of your smartphone because you want to learn how to avoid that. So you need to break stuff to learn how to not break it. So that's definitely one of the areas of research. But then, yeah, the measurement aspect. Self-driving cars, they need to know. Well, first of all, they need to know, is that a pedestrian or is that is that a, a trash can? And then they need to know, uh, is that moving and how big is it and how far away is it? So the cameras need to need to be able to find out distances and sizes of things and even what that stuff is so okay all right so it's not just it's not just about destroying stuff then <laughs> no but, but smashing stuff is fun especially looking at it in slow motion again uh, f uh, check out the slow-mo guys uh on on youtube they have this one thing that they've done repeatedly and i love watching it and is they have big balls of jello that they throw in the air and then smash it with a tennis racket <laughs> and it turns into lots of little jello sausages <laughs> and it's fun to watch all right i think that covers it for today episode 57 of the future photographies in the can we'll be back in a week from now until then take care bye You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Hold up. 